Welcome back to Old Nerd, Young Nerd. I'm Derek. And I'm Todd. And we are continuing our Star Trek Picard series today. Uh, we'll be talking about episode eight, which is entitled Broken Pieces. And I'm really excited about this because this is kind of, um, I guess you could call it maybe a linchpin episode because it's where a mm-hmm. lot of plot lines start really coming together and you get I agree. a lot of explanations. Yep. All right. Do you want to give like an overview of uh, an overview, and then um, we can go into like the the nitty gritty, uh, scene by scene, so to speak. Yeah, we could do that. Okay. So uh, essentially, what we find out in this episode uh, is basically how the Mars attack went down, like who's really behind it, why they're behind it, which has kind of been the the big question since the episode one, right? Um, and then I know something that Todd's very excited about is, uh, something goes down on the board cube. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, but, but just give it like a brief overview, I guess. And then we'll go into it uh, in detail. Or do you want to go into it in detail now and then uh, just go from there? Eh, why don't we just get into it? Okay. All right. You want to start? Yep. Was so, Aya. Yes. Okay. Yep. So the yeah the episode starts uh, essentially with a flashback of Commodore O and the rest of the Romulan Zatvash agents on a planet known as Aya, which is uh, the grief world, essentially, is mm-hmm. how it translates. Um, they are in front of like this glowing circle, which is. Um, I think that's what they refer to as the admonition. You are correct. Yes. Uh, per my notes. And I've got like several pages of them. So yeah, it's the admonition on uh, the planet in the center of eight suns mm -hmm. octagon system or octa, whatever octanary star system. Yes. Yeah. So essentially this odd admonition is a warning that was left uh to anyone who could find it to essentially um warn of a coming doomsday um uh and a doomsday brought about by like these perfect synthetic forms right synthetics mm-hmm. like or some uh uber machines mm-hmm. and after um after the Zatvash members witness this in their minds via their, you know, like Romulan, because um, Romulans and Klingons basically are not Klingons. Vulcans basically Vulcans. have the same mental capacities, right? Powers. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Vulcans are an offshoot of uh, uh, the Vulcans, uh, unlike the Vulcans who um, went with. Uh, logic as their primary motivation. The Vulcans were more, I guess you could say more human. The Romulans, yes. The Romulans were more human in their instincts and their thoughts and everything else. So they all basically watch this admonition and then it causes most of the members there to go mad Mm -hmm. and commit suicide on the spot. Right. Like a lot of them pull out their disruptors and shoot themselves or, and some of them start just like grabbing rocks and bashing their own brains in, which is a uh, mm-hmm. pretty crazy. 
Right, because O, Rizzo, and Ramda are there in that um, Conclave of Eight, um, mm-hmm. which we'll get into later what, a, what, what the Conclave of Eight is. And um, Nerissa um, isn't, like, doesn't harm herself, but she's shaken by it. Right. So, and uh, basically she tells Commodore O that we have to stop the machines and ask how they can do it. And Commodore O says, on the, on the world the humans call Mars. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this basically kind of does confirm Rafi's conspiracy theory that uh, the Zat Vash, although I think she she believed it was the Tal Shiar, right. well, it was the the Romulans in general were behind the sabotaging right. of Mars and, and the synthetic uh, attack there. And the Mars, uh, you know, I think uh, that's that's the Utopia Planitia shipyards, uh, mm-hmm. which is what happened. Uh, in that area where right, and they were they were building ships to go ironically save the Romulan people. Yeah. But the, yeah. the Zatvash was willing to have a lot of their own fellows die to help prevent the spread of synthetic life. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a really interesting and, and they didn't really get into it too deeply, but it's an interesting um, moral problem. Uh, with this, you know, in terms of because basically the Federation, one of their prime tenets in the prime directive is to not interfere um, with the development of life forms. And that's kind of exactly what they did after um, the, you know, the whole. You mean by like banning synthetic life? Correct. Like they kind of yeah. violated their own directive. Yeah, I mean, like even you know, with if you go back to the original Star Trek when they were talking about uh, starting life on a new planet uh, with Search for Spock with the um, Eden planet, uh-huh. they wouldn't do that even if there was like algae growing. So right. I mean, like like the Prime Directive, you know, for hundreds of years was not to interfere with the development of life. So this kind of reversal, even though it's synthetic life, was was a kind of a big thing, which they really didn't go into, like, as much as I thought they would. But I don't know what season two is going to bring. But I, I think that they didn't really, and I think this, this is kind of really what drove Picard crazy, was because he saw it as life. Just because it's synthetic doesn't mean it's not life. Well, and then Picard was in the unique position of having been around data for like right. a decade or whatever. Right. I mean, so there, seen, so there, and, that, that obviously that his his feeling towards everything is somewhat skewed by that. Right. But in the appropriate way, because most people would probably just view synthetics as, oh, whatever. But data was very almost human. Right. It's like a vacuum cleaner or something else. Why do we have to really even discuss it? But I, I think that they were really looking at deeper issues um, because Star Trek always tackles social issues that they have since the 60s. Um, so we're we're 50 years in where they're really tackling social issues. But what they basically said with the um, abolition of synthetics is they're not really life. And that was a big um, issue for Picard. It's one of the reasons why he left 
we'll go into deeper detail about Rafi and what she really thought about that, but I will uh, I will bow out again and let you continue with the summation. So the episode then kind of comes to the present where um, Narissa is talking to her unconscious Aunt Ramda mm-hmm. and saying that, you know, her brother found or is tracking the home planet of um, of the synthetics and she's going to join them soon and they're going to prevent um, the destruction and they're going to kill all the synthetics basically so that the, the apocalypse essentially never happens. And then you see Elnor, uh, who is basically sort out getting attacked by a bunch of um, Romulans. Mm-hmm. And then I think this is what your favorite scene. It really is. Do you want to, um, do you want to tell them what happens? Since no, I'm going to let you and then I'll, and I'll geek out. Okay. Yeah. So he, he's holding his own against the guards until he's overwhelmed. And then like the guards are just dropped by phaser blast from behind them. Uh, so, enough that Elnor can finish off what was in front of him. And then seven of nine appears asking where Hugh is and wondering, wondering uh, what's going on. Um, Elnor hugs her. And then um, that's basically the end of that scene. So Todd, go ahead, geek out. Okay. So here's my, here's my geeking out uh, thing. Um, What, what uh, he, he triggers a, um, a little signal to the Fenrir Rangers, uh, which we talked about in the, in uh, some of the previous episodes, where yep. Seven of Nine was one was the well, that's I think, a leader. That was like one of the last things uh, in at the end of um, episode seven, I believe, mm-hmm. was that he signals the Fenris Rangers, right? And uh, you know, Seven of Nine comes, and one of her issues with this whole thing was that they. Um, you know, like the the whole thing with going on the board cube and everything else is that, uh, God, I forget what the the, the criminal organization was, but they basically dissected Icheb, which was her kind of like adopted child uh, who was a young Borg uh, just for his implants. But she comes in, you know, guns a-blazing, and basically is like, just as... um, you know, he's about to uh, be killed and, you know, shows up. Like, I, I was like, oh, yes. Because I'm like, when when uh, Seven and I first showed up, I was like, yes, this is awesome. And then she left. And I'm like, uh, wah, wah. Like, and okay, then, she's probably not going to be in any other episodes. Yeah. And then she comes and saves him uh, from the other Romulans. Uh, before they kill him, and I was just like, "This is just awesome." I'm like, uh, "I'm hoping she's going to be a recurring character." Blah, blah blah, and I know she is in season two, but and and I uh, I uh, constantly tell Derek that he really has to watch Voyager, especially like the last like four or five seasons with Seven of Nine. Uh, and and this episode actually harkens back to Voyager. Uh, in terms of uh, different plot points, uh, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But I was just so excited when Seven of Nine showed up again and saved uh, Elnor from the Romulans. So that that's my little geeking out thing. 
I'm going to step back again and give the reins to, to Derek to continue the story. All right. So we jump over to Picard's team aboard the La Serena where mm-hmm. um, Picard is just beamed up with Soji and he introduces her to uh, Rios and Rafi who are there to greet them. Right. And, you know, Rios kind of acts weird. He's frozen looking at Soji and he, he seems disoriented, but it looks like if you, if you look back on it, you can kind of see that there's like a look of um, recognition on his face almost, mm-hmm. which we'll get into pretty <clears> soon. <throat> and then Picard tells them to set course for Deep Space 12, which is the, the closest star base. And to get him a secure comm channel to Starfleet Command. Right. Which um, Soji isn't too happy to hear. And Rafi's not too happy to have Soji on board. Um. She doesn't trust Soji. She thinks she might be like a murder machine. Mm-hmm. And she thinks Picard's a fool for bringing her on board and also for bringing um, uh, Dr. Girardi on board, who she informs him was basically a double agent and that she killed Bruce Maddox. Yeah, that so was kind of like that was kind of an interesting um, side plot because she made it sound partially like. She had no choice in doing it, but well, I guess whatever they, whatever um, O showed her, somehow made her do it on her own because she was so petrified of what might happen or what what would happen. uh, We'll be getting deeper into that pretty shortly. Okay. Um. So Picard goes to the sick bay, and you know the virtual assistant that looks like Captain Rios there show uh, explains that. She injected herself with neuridium hydride to cancel out the viridium tracker that was in her system so that the um, the ship that was following them couldn't follow them anymore. Right. And that ship had uh, Soji's Romulan ex-boyfriend, I guess we'll call him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, who was a uh, member of the Zatvash. Yeah, uh-huh. I... I Part of me thinks that he is. Part of me thinks he isn't. We we actually had this talk in uh, pre-production. All of the um, conclave of eight were women, so I'm I'm kind of thinking that the Zatvash are <clears throat> not. This makes any difference, but they're you know the the women are are leading it, and they're using the Tau Shiar, and. Um, you know, her brother was basically just Tal Shar. He wasn't Zat Vash. Or that, kind of like, something. That's, that's, that's my theory. I don't, like, again, never mentioned in the series, but it just kind of seems strange that the Conclave of Eight were all women. Um, and, you know, they're the ones that, that run the Zat Vash. And, you know, below that, the Tal Shar. Or yeah, maybe, or maybe he's like somewhere in between the two. It could be, yeah. definitely Tal Shiar. I mean, they're all technically Tal Shiar. <clears throat> Zavash is just yeah. Like I mean, the, Zavva, the yeah, extra Zavvash title. Tal, yeah, Zavash or Tal Shiar, but Tal Shiar are not Zavash. Mm-hmm. So exactly. it's kind of like one of those Zen diagrams. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that you know as anything, you know. Um, that, that it's unique, but I'm kind of wondering if in season two they're going to go explore that further. That only women can run the Zatvash. Don't know. 
just a supposition on my part. It's never mentioned in any of the series or any of the uh, or any of the series um, episodes. But I'm just kind of thinking that maybe that's what they're going for, but they just haven't uh, extrapolated. Well, season two is coming pretty soon, so we will I know, see. I can't wait. I cannot wait. <clears throat> All right. So uh, Picard sends a report over to Admiral Clancy, who, if you remember back from the earlier episodes, was the, the lady he was arguing with. Like, she wouldn't mm-hmm. give him a ship or anything. Right. Um. So, you know, he kind of basically rubs it in her face that he was right and she was wrong. And she she tells him to shut the F up, <laughs> which, again, is just so weird to hear in, in Star and Trek. Star Trek. Yeah, no, I, I know for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but she said she's informing him that she has a is dis- dispatching a whole squadron of ships to meet him at Deep Space 12 and that he should stay put until they arrive. Right. And Picard is extremely happy to hear this. Um, it, and it, it's kind of like a boost in his morale because he, he's like, okay, so reinforcements are coming. We're going to be able to, you know, hold off any attack on these synthetics and kind of succeed in our plan. Right. Um, so now we flash over to the bridge and Rafi's who is talking to who she thinks is Rios, but again, it turns out to be another holographic crew, uh, crew member called Enoch, who is a navigator with an Irish accent. Yeah. Because, and, I, and, that, and that's like a, a, um, a nod to Scotty from the original series, TOS. Well, no, there's, we'll find very soon. There's um not a navigator, but there's uh, an engineer hologram well, with meant. a Scottish accent. No, that's what I meant. That's, that's the nod. Yeah. But yeah. same difference yeah. really. Yeah. And I'm going to take this time to give the actor who plays Rios, uh, Santiago Cabrera, a bunch of credit because he essentially plays six parts that are between the five holograms and Rios himself. And most of them have different voices. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, this guy, incredible. This guy did an incredible performance. He he probably had the hardest job of anyone on the cast. Yeah, for like, without a doubt. Um, so this this Enoch is talking to Rafi and refers to Soji as Jana, mm-hmm. which you know you're like, well, why would he do that? Um, we'll find more. We'll find out more about that later. So uh, Rafi asks him since he's a navigator about a sketch that she saw um, some Romulans making while they were investigating the cube, and he says it's an octonary which is what you were talking about earlier, Todd, a planetary system with eight stars. Right. Octonary star system. And the odds of that actually happening are? Astronomical. Astronomically almost zero. Yes. It said it would uh, basically have to be made because it wouldn't happen naturally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's how Rafi starts to put everything together. Yes, so this Rafi starts thinking that the Conclave of Eight, which she believed is behind the attack on Mars, was not a reference to the number of people, but to the place where they were meeting. Mm. Interesting. Like, I didn't get that, but you're correct. No, like, when I was watching, like, I must have overlooked that, but you were entirely correct on that. Yeah. Todd, I know you've said you've watched through this, like, four times. Yeah, to get everything, you're gonna have to watch this like 40 times. There's just so oh my much god, this. like yeah, and and we're gonna like touch on some things, but yeah, like 
and, that, and that's the thing we're touching on it we're we're missing a lot i'm sure yeah because there's so many little details but they they uh sprinkle it throughout the entire series so it, you know awesomely awesome but uh, okay I, I just wanted to say that about the conclave but yeah i didn't even think about that but i do remember now they were talking about that but i will shut up once again well, you're you're gonna be nerding out once again in like ten seconds after I finish this part. Okay. So we're back on the board cube. Um, mm-hmm. Narissa <clears> finds <throat> the dead guards and the comm ship from the Fenris Rangers, and it doesn't take her long to figure out which one of them just showed up. So you go inside the queen cell, and uh, Seven of Nine asks Elnor why he didn't accompany Picard, to which he replies that Picard reached him. Uh, released him from his pledge and that he found an, a cause even more lost than Picard's was in terms of like uh, protecting the XBs. Right. Exborg uh, for those who have not been following along, but yeah, Exborg. Mm-hmm. So he, he asked seven of nine, how the queen cell works. And she says she can either explain or she can steal the cube from the Romulans. So right. she activates her Borg implants and connects to the queen's room, bringing it online and causing the cube to start repairing itself. Um, Narissa tells the guards, because like she kind of gets afraid now, she tells the guards to start uh, dumping all the Borg that are still in stasis into space while she handles uh, remo- uh, killing all the remaining XBs. Todd, geek out. All right, so here's, and, and you know, uh, Derek and I were talking to us on uh, pre-pro, this really is a nod to uh, Voyager and basically the last season where we know where we find out there are more than one board Queens, uh, unlike that was told in First Contact, but they they basically extend what they're basically doing in terms of they and, and this makes sense logically. You need a leader, regardless of whether you're having a hive or, or anything else, to direct what's going on they have multiple queens this board cube did not have a queen and seven of nine who was tertiary adjunct to unimatrix one which was their main hub uh, for all of their um i guess sorties or whatever you want to call it uh in terms of assimilating other civilizations she was very scared of not just activating the cube, but also being uh, consumed by the power of being the queen. And that's exactly what she did in the queen chamber. And the queen chamber was never really, uh, aside from the books, which I've read, and Voyager, you never really know about um, in terms of the whole Star Trek universe until now. Uh, where where we where we bring about the um, the 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 queen's chamber, and so she takes control and she starts repairing the cube and taking control of the Borg, and you know they they slowly uh, get Narissa's um. I guess I guess her escorts they kill her and then they're going to attack her, and then that's when she uh, when the other Romulan ships beam her off just as she's getting prepared. I'm assuming to be killed or be captured or whatever. 
Um, but I, uh, that's all I got to say on this one. Okay. All right. All right. So getting back, um, to the ship, Mm -hmm. Picard and Soji are sitting and they're, they're eating, but she's kind of more toying with her food. So Picard starts talking to her about how she thinks she doesn't have a past anymore, but he thinks she has a story waiting to be claimed. And she says he's, she thinks he's referring to data. Mm -hmm. And she asks him about data and Picard tells her, you know, about data's bravery and generosity. Um, and he admits to feeling love for him, like uh, I guess in like that a, was kind of, a fatherly that was kind of sort weird of way to me. Like that was kind, of, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say in a car kind of way. Because she asked him, "Did you love him?" Mm-hmm. And, and, and you could you could really say that Data and Picard had kind of a father son relationship. Yeah, I mean, like there was definitely, you know, that kind of feeling. But I was kind of like really like he's still. And if you, I'm I'm hoping everyone's watched Encounter at Farpoint, like the first episode from uh, TNG. But he was very standoffish. But it was kind of weird to me. I don't know about to you, Derek, that he couldn't really just say, "Yeah, I did. I really did love Data." That like that was kind of weird to me. But at the same time, I'm like, that's kind of like a Picard thing to say. He didn't really want to admit his feelings even then to his air quote daughter. Um, So I'm like, that's kind of weird, but I can also see him being okay with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, how did you feel with that? Like, were you like, did that even phase you um, when, when they were talking about that? Cause I, I kind of really want to talk about that in terms of it was weird but I understood it. So well, I was kind that, of wondering like, how you took it. That like he felt love for him. But he in couldn't a, say In a it. certain kind of way. Yeah. But like he, he couldn't just outright say that he loved him. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's, that's, it's that, within that Picard's. That kind of weirded me out a bit. But, but it was also Picard. Yeah. It's, that's just, so, that's just who he is. He keeps his emotions kind of close to the vest. So that didn't really bother me too much. It just kind of was like. I get when you like if like Starfleet Command asked, did you love him? Like, well, I had those feelings for him. But like when his daughter is basically saying it, I thought he would be more open. But I'm like, okay, I can still kind of see where Picard was like, nah, I don't really want to go into this. So <laughs> I like that was that was where I was with that. But I was kind of curious as to your feelings on it. So you were kind of okay with it. I mean, it didn't really bother me, no. Yeah, I mean, it didn't bother me either, but it was kind of weird. But no, I get what you're saying. All right. So where are we now, Derek? So now we go over to Rafi, who is still trying to find the real Rios. Mm-hmm. Um, only she encounters Ian, which is the Scottish accented hologram we were talking about earlier. Right. Who greets her? Who greets her as as Lassie? Which there's right. your throwback. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, she asks him never to call her that again, and he basically tells her that uh, uh, Rios is in his cabin, and that encountering Soji likely brought up unwelcome memories. 
So she asks him what the likelihood of an octanary star system occurring naturally would be, which he says close to nil, which would mean it would have to have been constructed. But why? Mm-hmm. Um, Ian thinks it was, um, it might have been someone showing off. And but Raffi, who's still working on her conspiracy theory, wonders if it was maybe meant to be a warning instead. Right. Which is, I guess, what it turns out to be, because the the op, the odds of eight stars aligning around a planet are just too astronomical uh, to be something that occurs naturally in nature. Mm-hmm. So that's how we get this planet um, and everything else with the admonition, with the artifact and all that good stuff. So, I mean, like, the the consequences of this terrify Raffi, so she goes to try and order a drink, but um, uh, one of the holograms reminds her that she locked herself out of being able to drink alcohol or override it two days ago. Even ultra override it. Yes, which is kind of a significant development because she had been, like, pretty much an alcoholic since the... That you know she'd been in that state. That's how Picard kind of recruited her. Yeah, because they basically uh, made her sound like a a crazy person. Oh, exactly. She no, said, she was driven to um, trying to find. Yeah, I mean, let let let's at least give credit where credit's due. Oh, like, absolutely. Starfleet kind of drove her that um, Starfleet, and then the issues um, with her son, and then the confrontation with him that she had when they were on um, SkyCloud. So it's this is a very significant character development for her. But it was also very interesting that uh Star Trek actually brought that into being because you know initially in the original series, you know, um Earth is perfected and everything else, and there's nothing wrong, but it's actually good to see that they have still humanity, mm-hmm. you know several centuries ahead of us and i kind of think that's kind of why they brought that up is to show that humans are still flawed kind of exactly like vices are still a thing Mm -hmm. exactly and that's kind of why i was like yeah this is kind of cool um not cool that she was you know she was always had to drink and everything else but right right that you know um we can see yeah the world is more perfect but humans are still flawed uh in how they deal with things which which is understandable uh in the situation all right so now we see rios in his cat in um in his cabin he's going through an old chest from his time on the uss uh i'm gonna butcher this ibn majid okay thank you that's kind of what i that's kind of what i thought it was going to be but i i didn't want to butcher it so in it is his old starfleet uniform uh, you know, co- uh, some old com badges, a photo of himself with his former captain, Alonzo Vandermeer, mm-hmm. um, and a drawing of Rios with someone who looks like Soji. Right. So, and when he sees this drawing, he quietly lets out a sob uh, yeah, while because... yelling at while yelling at Rafi through the door to um, leave him alone. So this is setting up a revelation that we won't be able to get to in this episode. We'll get to it in the next episode. Oh, I didn't even notice we were that far that far uh, in. 
Yeah. So we got but one little part correct. and then one one more little part and then we'll wrap it up. All right. So I will shut up and let you uh, lead us out. Yep. So we're back on the Borg artifact where seven of nine is consulting the cube systems, um, seeing the uh, XBs on there while, and the thousands of Borg that are in stasis, which Elnor suggests waking them up. But um, seven of nine knows that they would be useless without the full Borg collective uh, voice behind them. Mm-hmm. But then she thinks, or then she says she could activate and link their transceivers to create like a mini collective within the cube and control them to use against the Romulans. Oh, I can't believe you're ending on this, dude. Although yeah, she's, she's reluctant thing. to do that because it would mean assimilating them again and leaving right. them with no free will. And then Elnor says that, you know, um, Seven could simply release them after they win. But then Seven says that she might or that they might not want to be released and she may not want to release them. Right. Because she is essentially becoming a poor queen. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. it's it's getting this power and then uh, being not being unwilling to let it go, but it kind of corrupting you to you might not want to let it go. So that's where we'll end. Um, that's basically the first half of the episode. So we'll get to the next half in the next episode. In the meantime, remember to follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Old Nerd Young Nerd. And continue lis- listening to us pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. We're there. Yeah, we're literally on every platform now. Um, Todd worked and- hard on that. I really did. Um, I pat myself on the back for that. Oh, absolutely. But we're literally on everything. We're even on Amazon Alexa. So you can you can literally listen to us there. So I I encourage everyone to listen to us on whatever uh, platform is easiest for you. But we're literally on every platform. Um, And yeah, I did. I did uh, work my butt off to get us on everything, even on iHeartRadio. Yeah, I, I still can't believe we got that one. Yeah, um, but that's that's kind of really more to all of our listeners uh, that that allowed us uh, that, and uh, you know, I'm I'm really happy for our, all of our listeners. But literally, we're on literally everything. So please listen to us on Old Nerd, Young Nerd, and uh, again, I'm Todd, and I'm Derek, and, and remember, remember, normal is the new boring. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody.